Take your bulletins, open them up, take out an outline. The passage we share is a traditional Jewish passage. It's called the Akedah, which is the binding up of Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. We go through that and see how God spoke to Abraham and how God is speaking to us and what is he trying to teach us in this unique, unique passage. Listen carefully to what God has to say through Genesis chapter 22. When I think of the messages of the Bible, there's all kinds of messages, but you know me, I like to divide the world into two groups of people, two big bubbles, you know, we're very intellectual and theological, so I make the world into two bubbles. I make a bubble on the left here of people that have never accepted Yeshua as their Messiah. Good people, loving people, kind people, all kinds. Well, says I'm not so good people. But anyway, the whole world is in this bubble on the left. The only thing is they've never accepted Yeshua as their Messiah. Then there's the bubble on the right. Good and bad people, all kinds. Just because you're in this bubble doesn't make you a nice, good person. You can be miserable and cranky and horrible. But anyway, you're in this bubble because you've said at one point in your life, I believe Yeshua is the Messiah. I believe I'm separated from God. And God sent the Messiah to pay for my sins. I accept him and put my trust in him and receive him. The Bible says you are put into this right bubble. Now, for me, there's two messages I battle with each week to share with you. Because these two groups get two separate messages in the Bible. They really do. There's a focus on that. And so in this room, we have people who believe in Yeshua and some people that don't believe in Yeshua. So I don't know which one to focus on each week. And some weeks it's one, some weeks it's the other. The message I'm talking about is this. For the people on the left who have never accepted the Messiah, my message to them is that the Messiah has come according to the Jewish prophets, as uh, Rachel and Steve were sharing. Messiah, according to our Jewish prophets, was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He would be... uh, Uh, He would be despised and rejected by his own people. He would come before the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 CE. He would suffer greatly. He would be crucified, according to King David in Psalm 22, a thousand years before the crucifixion. According to the Jewish prophets, my message to them is accept and believe the Messiah has come. He is your atonement. He is your kapoor. He is your Passover lamb. He's the one who died for us. So if we believe in him, you have eternal life and a relationship with God. That's the message for them. And sometimes I focus on that. Sometimes Steve does. Then there's this message over here for the believers. That's basically, that's real easy. That's real simple, this message. Serve him, love him, give him everything. Give him your life. Now, a lot of times people say to this group, you give him your life. I never say that to the non-believers, people who don't accept Yeshua. Don't give him anything. Before I became a believer, when people used to share with me in the 1970, uh, 70, 71, beginning of 72, they never told me, give up my life, stop living this way, stop doing this. They only told me one thing, believe, accept, and receive Yeshua as your Messiah. We're so busy telling people, clean up your life. Don't tell them to clean up their life. God will do that. You tell them to accept what God has done for you. It's a gift. It's God's grace. You get what you don't deserve. Messiah came, died for you, you put your trust in him. Now I know the world says, too easy. But that's the message. Don't complicate it. For us as believers, now 
We are to serve and love him. I often told you a good friend of mine back in New Jersey, he was a, a power lifter. He was pretty strong. He was able to lift up 700 pounds off the ground. I watched him do it. I watched him take 700 pounds on his shoulders and bend and squat all the way to the powerful man. He accepted Messiah. He put his trust in Messiah. Then he became what I say in this bubble. And then he started doing certain things. I said, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to live for God. You're supposed to serve him. You're supposed to do good. You're supposed to help people. He goes, you didn't tell me that before. I said, B, he says, you didn't tell me everything. All you told me to do was believe. I said, you're right. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. So there's two messages. Over here, believe and receive. Over here, live and serve and give him your all. Now, the reason I say that is because the Akeda, Genesis 22, tells us what God wants from us. Primarily from believers. But he also speaks to the non-believer as well. The Shema that we say every week. Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, mind, with all your might. You shall give God. God wants everything. He doesn't want part. He said, well, you know, I'll serve God a little. I'll come on, on Shabbat and I'll live like the devil outside there. Nobody knows. I can go both ways. And someone once quoted, I like this quote, half-hearted commitment to God equals total commitment to idolatry. God wants it all. That's what Genesis 22 is all about. Risking it all. Listen carefully. Believers, God wants it all. Not, nothing short. God wants it all. If you're a non-believer never accept the Lord, pay no attention to that. All God wants from you is to receive the grace of God. Receive the Messiah. So, follow along with me if we can in this passage where I have up there. Risking it all, to, in a sense, means giving it all. What's involved in risking it all? Fill it in. Roman number one. It means first, obedience. God is looking for outright obedience. We've heard, we've heard sometimes people say, someone says, jump. Your only thing is how high. We obey. When God says to obey, you do what he says. You don't question. God tells us to obey him and walk with him. That's what he did with Abraham. So follow along here. It says in uh, Genesis, actually uh, Genesis 22, it says, first, Abraham was tested and he obeyed God. Abraham was tested. Now listen carefully, folks. After you become a believer, for me, January 15, 1972, God tested me. God tested me time, time, time. God's always testing us. We always have to, all of us have tests in life. The tests never stop. I remember my first test. How to spell look. I remember that. I couldn't get those two O's. That was tough. L-O-O-K. There's always a test. Everywhere you go, there's tests. God tests us. He wants it to develop and mature. So we, we read, God tested, it says, now it came about after these things. After what things? You got to stop. It's amazing. Abraham here is maybe 120 years old. And after these things, let me, I, I don't like this little phrase in the Bible, after these things. Let me tell you why. Because in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. He's about 75. 
And in that time, Genesis chapter 13, God tests Abraham with Lot in the land. Uh, where, where to go? Lot, you go here, I'll go here. Chapter 14, there was a war going on. And Abraham had to go out and rescue Lot. Chapter 15, Abraham says to God, I don't have any children. What about the promise? What about the land? Who am I going to give the land to? What about the promise? God tested Abraham. Do you believe me, Abraham? Yeah, but I'm getting a little up there in age. And, um, you know, I don't have any kids yet. And the promise can't be unless you give me children. Genesis chapter 16. God, you haven't given me children yet. I'm 86 years old now. And so Abraham says, well, I know what I'll do. Sarah says, listen, forget it. I can't have children. Go into the Egyptian Hagar and we'll have a child. Abraham didn't trust God in that one. And we're having problems today because of it. But anyway, after these things, chapter 17, God speaks to Abraham again. Now he's 99, still being tested. When will these tests stop, Lord? Folks, I'm sorry. When we go up, that's when they stop. Not until. Always tested. Genesis, uh, he's, he's Genesis 17, 17, he's 99. Genesis 18 and 19, he's battling, rescuing Lot. Chapter 20, he's got a famine and he's running down to Egypt. Chapter 21, he's got all kinds of tests all the time. Now Abraham's old and about to retire. He's getting ready, it's over. He's had his son 20 years before or so. And he's very, very tired. He's been through all the tests. He's now mature. And then it says, now God tested Abraham. Now, if I'm Abraham, I, I, I said, again, how many times do I got to be tested? I love you. I'm serving you. Here it is. God tested Abraham. Look at me. Verse 1. Good. And after these things. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. That's what he does. Not in a mean way. There's reasons for the test. And Abraham answered him. And he said, here I am. That's what God wants from us. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Everyone, two messages. You, non-believers, accept Messiah. You become over here. You're a believer. Here I am. Whatever you want. There's your two messages. Abraham said, here I am. Behold. Isaiah said, Hineni, behold, here I am. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do whatever you want. I'm ready. I said, yes. Are we willing? God will always test you. And listen carefully. If you pass the test, you go to the next level. If you don't pass the test, he gives you a test again. The same test, but he disguises it. You don't know. God wants you to mature. Now, all of us have different tests. For me and some of you, it's driving. For me, my test, I, I lose it. On the 101, on the 91, on the 15. That's why God sent me to California. I can't believe it. <laughs> to experience the 405 and the 5 and the 91. The, actually, you've heard my story. In Italy, same thing. I just can't handle it. And every single time my wife sits there, she doesn't know whether to rebuke me, stay silent. She doesn't know what to do. She goes, you're losing it again. I go, yeah, I know. I'll do better next time because it always works out. And the next day, the same test and the same silly reaction from me. I can't pick the, I'm always repeating the test. Well, there's a comical test, but the tests always come. It could be immorality. It could be all kinds of areas in your life, but God will test you. He is always faithful. We go on. Verse 2. He said to Abraham, this, this really gets to me, and you got to understand it. He said, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go, by the way, 
Abraham did out of other children, but the scriptures is not wrong when it says take your only son. This is your only unique special son that's called to the promise. So the scripture's not wrong because Abraham out of other children. What God was saying in Hebrew is take your unique special one that we've called for the promise. For the promise that the, mess- the Messiah would come from your son, from this seed. All the blessings are in this son. This is what bothers me in verse 2. It's the hardest test in his life. At the age. You know, I guess in reality, our tests get harder all the time. You know, my tests in grades 1, 2, 3 to 6 is one thing. Then junior high gets worse. Finally, college, graduate level. Tests are always harder. And then we think we're out of graduate school. The tests are over. Oh, folks, they don't. They never end. They're going on right now in your life. I had a big test at 24. I had a bigger test at the age of 40. I had the biggest test of my life at 50 coming here. And that's why I get scared when it says, and after these things, the next test might be coming. I don't know. But I know I can trust him. And so we read here. It says, take your son. Go to the land of Moriah, which is the Temple Mount, where the uh, big mosque is there today. And... uh, and it says, and offer him up there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, you have to understand when he says, God says, offer your son, please. God doesn't want human sacrifice. You say, well, here it says it. No, no, no. He was testing Abraham. He had no designs on taking Isaac. God never had a design on taking Isaac. The pagans killed their children. But the Jewish people never killed their children. But God was testing Abraham to see how far he would go. God knew, but, you know, he was testing him. So we read in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. God was telling him to go and sacrifice your son. Now, the important thing is, a lot of times when people are reading this, I want you to get the context here. Because our mind is trying to figure out what Abraham is thinking. It's not important. You say, well, I have to know what Abraham was thinking. No, no. Well, what was Sarah thinking? No, no, no. What was Isaac thinking? I don't know. You don't know what any of them were thinking. Because who's writing this? Anybody call it out. You want to find out why Moses was writing it. Moses is the one who's giving us the paper and trying to get the message across to us. Not Abraham or Sarah or Isaac. Moses is trying to tell the people, teach the people, get the context. In the wilderness, that's when he's writing it. He's not writing it a thousand years before uh, in Abraham's time. Moses is writing it in his time to teach the people that you are to obey God no matter what the request, no matter how difficult the test. You are to trust God in the wilderness. You are to trust God with the scorpions, the snakes, no water, whatever it is. You are to turn to... That's why he's writing it. You will be tested. And so Moses is trying to teach them that we need to obey God immediately, much like Abraham. So follow along. We are all to be tested and, uh, and we are to obey God. Obeying God and follow God's will. Now, a lot of times people say to me, what's God's will? Listen carefully. This is a very important point. Start small. Start with what you know God wants you to do. You do that and God will speak to you and tell you the next thing. You do that, he will tell you more. Now, here's what most believers don't realize. 
If you don't obey what God has already told you to do, He's not going to tell you anymore. If you don't obey what He's revealed to you, He won't reveal more things to you. God wants you to obey Him. That's the most important thing, first to obey Him. You say, well, what do I do? I want to do something great for God. No, you don't. Because, as Steve said, how many of us are reading the Bible every day? Don't raise your hand. How many of you read the Word of God today? God wants you to read the Word. Now you say, I'll read it later. Good. Good, that's good. How many of you read it this morning? God tells us, read His Word. God tells us, pray every day. You say, no, no, tell me something big to do. He's not going to do anything if you don't read and pray and obey Him and worship Him and share with Him your finances and your good deeds and share your faith with people and live morally and uprightly. God tells us to live pure and right. If you don't do what He's already told you, what makes you think He's going to tell you more? If someone gives you something and you just walk away, you think you're going to give them it again? I'm saying, thank you, what could I do? God gives you something, thank you. What else do you want me to do? Start small. The key here is that we are called to... Write down, I'm going to give you keys for each point here. Write down this key here. Key is start small and obey. Roman number one. Start, Start small and obey. Listen, God years ago told me, when I was a young man, leave Philadelphia. I was comfortable. I didn't want to leave Philadelphia. God made it clear, go. And I went. I went. I was comfortable and safe in Philadelphia. Instead, I had to get in a Vega, which is pretty scary in itself, if you remember the Vega. I got in a t-shirt and ripped shorts, orange and white. It was psychedelic back in those days. Moccasins and $400 under the floor mat of my car, all my possessions. And God said, go. That was scary. And God has blessed me. God told me, leave New Jersey. I thought I was going to die in New Jersey. I thought I was happy there for the rest of my life. I was content. God says, go. But it's not safe out there, Lord. You go and I'll take care. As long as you're following me and obeying me. And he's always blessed as you obey him and walk with him. You'll never go wrong. So start small. And obey. Number two, what does risking it mean all? I said first, it means obedience. Second, fill it in. Risking it all means total surrender. Again, please, just I have to repeat. I didn't say to non-believers totally surrender. I said you accept Messiah. You people on the writers claim to receive Messiah, surrender it all. Not 90%. He wants 100%. Surrendered. Abraham surrendered everything, folks. Genesis 22. On the third day, and again, keeping in our mind, well, it's not Abraham we're wanting to figure out. It's Moses. But on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. He went. He surrendered everything. He took his son. I don't know what he told Sarah, but anyway, he took his son. Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go there, and we're going to worship and return. Key there. I and the lad, we're going to go worship. It's a strange word here. He's supposed to kill Isaac. But Abraham said to the men with him, we're going to go, Isaac and me, we're going to go worship, and we will return. Mm, I'm not sure what Abraham was thinking. 
or what Moses is trying to get across. But we will go and return to you. Verse uh, 6, Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. I can't imagine what that confrontation was like, how willing Isaac was and whatever. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac all of a sudden said, wait, something's wrong here. And Isaac spoke to his father, Dad, what? Actually, my father, here I am. He said, behold, I see the fire, I see the wood, I don't see the lamb for the burnt offering. Something's wrong here, Dad, and I'm getting nervous. He started realizing what's going to happen. Uh, Verse 8, Abraham said, God's going to provide. And Isaac says, yeah, me? Anyway, uh, God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Well, we're not sure what this meant for Abraham. We're not sure because we don't know. Well, we do have some idea, and we're going to get to that. But Abraham was willing to sacrifice it all. Isaac was the promised one, folks. Abraham was 100 when he had Isaac. All the hopes and dreams. Back then it was different on the one child who would continue on the name, continue on the blessings, continue on to the Messiah. It was all in Isaac. I wonder if he was super protected from his mom and dad from getting hurt. Because all nations were going to come from Isaac. The Messiah was going to come from Isaac. The blessing of the world was going to come from Isaac. It was all him. And now he's taking Isaac. We don't know how old. I'm guessing somewhere. He's not as young as most people think. Maybe 20. Maybe 25 or so. And Abraham was willing to give up his son. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Your children, your wife, your life, everything. Abraham was a man of faith, the father of faith, was willing to surrender it all. You know, it's easy to be up here and say, believers, if you surrender it all, your wife, your children, your life, your jobs, your homes, your cars, your finances, God is faithful. He'll always provide. He knows better than you what's good for you. Abraham was willing to surrender it all. We need to be willing to surrender it all. I always love one of my favorite stories. The boys of Babylon were willing to surrender it all. The picture, three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Big Nebuchadnezzar says, everyone, I made a, uh, an idol. I think 90 feet tall. 60 or 90, I forget now. 90 feet tall. When you hear the trumpet, everyone bow down. So the trumpet blasted, everyone bowed down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up tall. Didn't bow down. And all, everyone's bowed down. And they look up. You know, we all do that. Every head bowed. We go like this. So looking around. Stood three boys. And so they go, the, the bad people in the kingdom go to Nebuchadnezzar. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They didn't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, guys, I, I sort of like you guys, and you're special in the, in the kingdom, but I have to be, keep my word. If you don't bow down, I got a special room over here. It was a big room, the furnace. And if you don't bow down, I have to throw you in. Like I said, you're going to be burned up alive. And the boys answer to follow. Look at this. This is surrendering it all. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Now you have to understand, Nebuchadnezzar was not a king who bade for mercy. 
He wasn't those who give grace and mercy. He murdered and killed as he wanted. He took the eyes out of the king of Israel, killed his sons in front of him, tarred and feathered. No mercy was in this king. And these three boys said, we don't have to give you an answer, king. We know for sure you'll put us in there. And look what they said. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will also deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here it is, believers. But even if if he does not, I hate to say this, if God doesn't deliver you, if God takes your life, you still trust in him because he knows what's right. You can depend on him to protect you, to keep you safe or to take us home in his way and in his time. And they said, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, king, I'm not going to serve you or your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. We will not follow you. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be, after he, he did throw them in, he threw them in the furnace, and then he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his uh, servants who put their trust in him, violating my commandment, yielded up their bodies so as not to be served or worship any other God except their own God. It's amazing. Great story. You got to read it. In Daniel chapter 3. He takes the three boys. He heats up the furnace seven times greater. They open the door and the servants that were taking up the Shadrach, Meshach, they got burned up. The boys fell in there. And a little while later, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and looking for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego burning and screaming in pain or as they die. Instead, he looks in and goes, what? Didn't we put three in there? He said, yeah. He said, I see four. And the fourth one looks like a son of a God. And then Nebuchadnezzar, it's a great story, Nebuchadnezzar says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out! If I was Shadrach, I'd say, why? I'm enjoying this. I'm here with my Messiah. We're having a great Bible study. He's showing me in the Scriptures. He showed me Micah 5, 2, Isaiah 53. This is wonderful. Come on out of there. And they come out. Impossible, sure, but God protected them. Their hair didn't even smell like fire. But they were willing to surrender it all. Everyone, we all have to surrender it all. We all are called to surrender it all. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God is so good. He has blessed us so much. All he asks is very little. Your whole life. That's what God wants. I will take care of you. The book of Deuteronomy says it. You serve me and I will give you everything. That's God's promise to us. Surrender it all. Romans, I see, beseech you, give your life up to Him. December 20th, 1995. I always refer to it. It's a, mar- a, a hallmark of my life. I'm in my study in New Jersey, and everything's falling apart. Everything's falling apart in my life. December 20th, 1995. I was losing the congregation. My kids had to leave the school that they were in. I lost my friends. I had to move. I was losing my ministry. I sat in my office like this. And I heard the voice of God say, because I was going to fight. God says, open your hands. I said, I can't. Everything's there. He says, let it go. 
and I opened my hands. And my life was tremendously blessed from then on. What happened? I lost it all. And I gained it all. Cut off for so much more. If we're willing to trust Him, surrender it all. It's worth it. God knows what He's doing if we really believe in a God. God is much more for us. Look, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, discovered it a couple years ago, even though it's been written for a few more years. Job 37. I just love this verse. Listen carefully. Whether for correction, God corrects us. Or for God's world, He's sovereign. He's in control. Or for His loving kindness, loyal love, God causes it to happen. What a great verse. His love, His control, His discipline. He causes it to happen. What does He ask from us? Total surrender. Obedience, surrender, number three, quick. It means risking it all, complete trust, total trust in Him. Abraham trusted God completely. Abraham is comfortable in Ur the Chaldeans in the modern Iran. And God says to him, leave Iran. And Abraham was with his father and they were well-to-do and they worshiped idols. And God said, leave everything behind and go. And Abraham says, Lord, where? I'm not going to tell you. Just start walking. I'll, I'll direct you. I want to know. God tells us complete trust in Him because His... By the way, B, write this, key. The key for number two was no personal gain. Don't have any personal gain. God is the one who will give you what you need. Number three, Abraham trusted completely. He left... It was hopeless. There was no salvation. There was no deliverance. He was in a foreign land with foreign enemies all around. He had no children. 75, he had no children. 86, he had no children. 99, he had a son. Abraham had a difficult time. And it tells us, verse 9, then it came about, then it came, when Abraham came to that place which God told him, Abraham built there the altar, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham stretched out the knife to kill his son. He wasn't going through the motions. He obeyed God. He surrendered it all. And now he was trusting God as he took the knife and was ready to kill his son. Took the knife, stretched out, took the knife to slay his son. Now, we know what Abraham was thinking, by the way. Moses doesn't tell us what Abraham was thinking. But a strange writer that nobody knows who he is. He wrote a letter to the Hebrew people in the Brit Hadashah. The writer to the Hebrews. Nobody knows him. I do. I know who wrote it. But so I'll talk to you later and tell you. But anyway, nobody knows. But this writer, 1,500 years later, wrote what we call the book to the Hebrews. And he told us what Abraham was thinking 2,000 years before when he took the knife. How did he know that? Well, God spoke to him and told him. Look what it says. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham. This was 2,000 years later. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac. We just read that. The Genesis account is 2,000 years earlier. And when he received, uh, uh, and he who had received the promises was offered up, uh, was offering up his only begotten son. Abraham received the promises. This promise going to his son. And God said, and he was offering him up. Completely trusting God. And then it says, it was he to whom the promise, uh, to whom it was said, in Isaac your seed, your descendants shall be called. 
He considered, Abraham considered, that God is able to raise up people even from the dead. That's what Abraham thought. If I kill my son, God's going to raise him up. How do you know? It says it. Abraham believed he'd kill his son. This was the one the promise was in. You couldn't take his life. Abraham was trusting God completely. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take his life. Well, it's over then. No. God will raise him up. I'm trusting God. It's amazing. Now listen carefully. Abraham believed in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. Messiah was resurrected. I will be resurrected. I believe in the impossible. God can do it. And it says he considered God able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. He totally trusted him. We need to trust God completely. I'll go quickly here. There's illustrations in the Bible. And I put here B. I won't go into it much. The clan from Shushan trusted the Lord. Esther, no hope. Esther. Okay. She had no hope. She went into the king, held out the golden scepter. Esther trusted God completely. Mordechai trusted God completely. Even in the face of Haman, Mordechai trusted God completely. Little Davy went against big Goliath. Nobody could kill Goliath. All of Israel, the armies fled. And little Davy, I call him little red, little red teenager. He goes to the king, so I'll take care of the giant. You, you're just a kid. And Davy says, no, 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 no. One day I was out and a bear came near one of my sheep, one of my lambs. So I said, what'd you do? I I reached up by his beard and pulled him down and killed the bear. Another day, little Davy says, a lion. A lion came against one of mine. And David says, I killed the lion. That big guy, no problem. Little Davy trusted God completely. Joshua and Caleb trusted God completely. The other ten spies, there's giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, there are giants there, but I got a bigger giant. My God will take care of us. We are called to trust God completely. His timing is perfect. God always does the right thing for us. In 1984, around that time, Fran and I were going to get our first house. We were so excited. Couldn't afford it. And so we were, we were trying to work on the down payment, and we were, going, we were so excited. I what was I, about 37 or so? And, and the house fell through. The money fell through. Fran had a miscarriage. Our life was miserable. It was horrible. Everything was crashing around. And I was looking for a house in Livingston, New Jersey. And serious, no exaggeration. I get a call about six months later from a woman from the South named Mrs. Sponer. And Mrs. Sponer said, Hi, Mr. Feldman. I said, Yes. She goes, I heard you're looking for a house. 
I go, well, I am. She goes, well, I have a house in Irvine, and I would like to sell it to you. I said, well, how much? And, you know, like the bargaining. She goes, there's no bargaining. Here is the price. She called me. God's perfect timing. We could always trust the Lord. 1996, friend and I were ready to move to California. Everything fell through. There wasn't a chance. We just packed our, unpacked our bags and stayed in New Jersey. We were not going to California. We were supposed to. It was all set. Nah. Everything fell apart. A year later, we're here. God's timing is perfect. You can always trust God. I figured I'd always have an apartment, a little small apartment for the rest of my life. I came to California. I had $2,000 to my name. I got a house because God's timing is perfect. He knew when and how. 1996, I couldn't have done it. 1997, I was able to do it because God miraculously sent me something special. Francis, don't tell you what. But anyway, see, God's timing is perfect. We can trust him. Key, everyone. Point three, look back. His faithfulness. Number four, quickly. Everything's quickly. You'll never get out of here. Number four, what's risking it all mean? It means proving our love. Not just obedience, not just surrendering at all, not just trusting for everything, but it means that we are going to be proved, tested, our love for him. Genesis 22, verse 11. The angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham says, oh, thank you, God, thank you. I don't have to kill him. He he said, don't stretch out your hand against the lad, and I love these words. Don't do him any harm, for now I know, Abraham, that you fear me. That's sort of comical. Now God knows that Abraham uh, fears him? God knows before you know, before that. But really what he's saying is, God says to Abraham, now I know that you know that I know. That you know. I know where you're at, Abraham. But you didn't know where you were at. And I had to show you how far you'd go for me. That's why we're tested. God wants to show you where you are at. Do you really love him? Do we really want to know? And God says, now I know that you fear me. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God knows where you're at, but he wants to show you. You think you know where you're at. You're not. Fill it in B. God wants to prove you, prove us, prove our love. He wants to show us where we're at. Are you willing to see where you're at? Listen carefully. Some of my favorite quotes. I always love to quote these. Listen carefully. Where am I? Yes. All right. Okay. Charles Schultz once had Charlie Brown carefully building a castle on the beach. Standing back to admire his work, Charlie Brown, it says, he soon was engulfed by a downpour which leveled the castle. Standing before the smooth place where his artwork had once stood, he said, there's a lesson here, but I'm not quite sure what it is. The fact is, apart from the storms of life, I never would have taken the time to think through the truths about who God really is. I can say the storms of my life is when I've gotten closest to God. They're not pleasant to go through, but God shows me who I am, where I'm at. Sure, I might have led a Bible study for you on the names of God, quoted a string of verses in a sermon, but I would never have brought into my heart 
firm, the rock firm reality of who God is in the heart of my experience. How do I know He is my fortress until when arrows are flying all around me, I run into the heart, into His open gates? How do I know He's my hiding place until I hear the enemy crashing in the brush behind me and feel His breath on the back of my neck and cry out to God for safety? How do I know God's my portion in this life until all I treasure and hold dear is suddenly threatened or taken away? How do I know unless it all happens? Sometimes storms may sweep down upon us from different directions and from, for different reasons. Sometimes Satan causes the storm. Sometimes people cause the storm. Sometimes I cause the storm. And sometimes the Lord sends the storm. But no matter what or who the cause, they all work to reveal the same thing. Listen to what they reveal. First, the nature of my faith. Two, the strength of my commitment. Three, the level of your maturity. Four, the health of your attitude. And five, the measure of your teachability. The tests we experience aren't from God. He already knows, aren't for God. He already knows who we are and what we can do. The tests are for us to learn about ourselves. Where are you at? Are you willing to admit? Key here is admit where you're at. And five and last, it means God will provide. That's the message of this passage. Everyone, I talked about obedience, surrender, trust, proving where you're at. The message here is God will provide. When you think of Genesis 22, think of this season. God loves us. Look down upon us. And He will provide for your many needs. God loves to provide, folks. He loves to provide when it's dark, when there's no hope, when you're backed into a corner. God wants to deliver you. He doesn't want you to deliver yourself. He wants you to obey and trust Him and surrender to Him. God provided for Abraham, Genesis 13, 22, 13. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, he saw a ram caught behind the thicket. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up, Instead of Isaac, his son. And Abraham called the name of that place. God will provide. As it is said in the mountain of the Lord. The temple mount. It will be provided. God will provide for us. Up here. Everyone look. How did God provide for us? Two passages. How God provided for you. First is in Psalm 22. King David wrote this psalm. It was about 1,000 BCE. King David wrote this psalm about his own suffering and torment. Without knowing it, he was writing about an event that would take place 1,000 years later. He didn't realize it. But the description of this took place 1,000 years later. Look what King David said in Psalm 22, 14. I'm poured out like water. I think he's writing in poetic style, symbolic style. He's poured out like water. It's, it's poetry. But it's also literal, which he didn't know. Poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Well, David's bones were not out of joint. 
A thousand years later, someone who died on a cross, bones were out of joint. That's what happens. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength dries up like a potsherd. All the water, dehydration, pours out of you. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You've laid me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. David did not have his hands pierced, his feet pierced. But he felt that way, destroyed. A thousand years later, a man's joints were out, and he was pierced, his hands and his feet, because God provided the ram caught in the thicket. God provided Messiah for Isaac, for you, for me. God provides. That's the message of Genesis 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. The Messiah saw all his bones. They looked, they stared, and they divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. One other passage. Steve Davis just referred to it up here. I refer to it almost every other week. It's the passage that changed my life. It's the passage that any Jewish man or woman who reads it and is honest has to say who it is. Written 750 years before Yeshua was born, Isaiah wrote of the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God. Look what he writes, Isaiah 53. Surely he, our, uh, surely our griefs, our sorrows, the Jewish people, he, the Messiah, would bear. Our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. Listen. God provided the lamb. It was God's design to send Messiah to die. It was not a surprise attack. Yeshua knew why he came to die for us. That was God's intended purpose. He would be the lamb. He'd be the sacrifice for us. He'd be the ram caught in the thicket. He was the one provided. He would be pierced through for my sins. He'd be crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. I talk to my Jewish people all the time, and I say the purpose of the Messiah was supposed to come the first time to be an atonement, kapoor, sacrifice for our sins, to put our trust in him. He will come again to set up his kingdom. But the Messiah came to die for our sins Jewish people, and also the rest of the world. That's the purpose of Messiah, to be our atonement. Isaiah told us this hundreds of years before. All of us were like sheep or compared to sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity, the sins of all of us to fall on that lamb, that goat, that ram, that sacrifice. He was oppressed and he would be afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. Just what happened? Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like sheep that's silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. I always, in the movie, the passion, in the story, in the accounts, in the Brit Hadashah, I always marvel. No matter what took place to Yeshua, he stood there and didn't open his mouth. I often say, you know, if I was Peter the Apostle, I'd say, come quick, Yeshua, let's get out of here, they're coming. I see Judas is leading them. They're, they're all coming with swords. And everything. Quick, get out of here. And Yeshua stood. They put him before Pilate and the Roman the, the legions and people. They say, don't you know what I can do to you? And Yeshua says, you have no power at all. Nothing. He didn't run. He stayed. So I could be up here and share with you. So you can share with other people. So Stephen and Rachel can share with our Jewish people in Israel. That's why he stayed. To give us hope. To give us life. God 
provided the lamb. By oppression and, and judgment, he would be taken away. His generation, they considered he was cut off, killed, out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He would render himself a guilt offering. He would see his offspring. He would prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, the Messiah. He will justify the many because he will bear their sins. Therefore, God says, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide all the booty, the riches with the strong because he's poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of all of us and he interceded for the transgressors. He took my punishment and he gave me his life and riches. That's what the Akeda is all about. God will provide for all of us. You know, this message, what was the first point? I forget now. Uh, help me. And, oh, obedience. Believers, obey. Surrender. Trust. Proving all to us. To the non-believer, I will provide. Message goes to both people. Because risking it all means giving it all. But everyone, let's summarize. Look. No, next. We will be tried. Therefore, obey him. Two. God is in control. Surrender everything. Three. We are to trust him. His timing is perfect. Four. It proves our Love shows where you are at. And five, God will bless, provide, and reward us for risking it all. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this message, this season, your goodness. Thank you for providing it all. May we, in the right bubble, surrender it all and trust you completely. And we, we who have never accepted Messiah, your free gift, God, may today we realize he is the Messiah. He came for me. Help me put my trust in him and receive him as my Messiah, my atonement, my Kapoor, my forgiveness. We thank you for these things and ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen.